Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, <clears throat> just a journey through Mark. And today we, we do come uh, to a difficult passage dealing with marriage and divorce. And, and it, it, it is, it's, it's rough. Divorce, I, I'd venture to say divorce has affected each person in this room one way or another. Um, and so, Lord, I know that it comes with great pain and anguish. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to, to navigate this passage with uh, your love and grace and, and truth. And, and, Father, we pray that um, you would help us to understand what happened in this passage and how it applies to us today. And, Lord, um, we just ask that you would guide us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us as we work through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so there we go. This is a difficult one. Um, th this is a subject matter, as I said, in our, my, the, the, the subject of divorce, I would venture to say we're not going to do a show of hands. But, but I'd venture to say that this, this has affected every single person in this room. Either you've been through a divorce, you had parents that were divorced, you know somebody that was divorced, you know somebody that's been affected by divorce. And I can say that pretty confidently because I, I'm the child. My dad was married three times. My mother was married three times. Divorce has shaped my life dramatically. And so you all know me, and so you all have been affected by divorce. If it was just in that context... Um, it, it has affected everybody. I, I recognize the, the pain, the sorrow, the agony, the shame, the regret, the remorse, the, all of the emotions that come from this. And so my, my prayer is that, I, well, I'm not my, it's just my prayer. I know that I'm addressing this passage from a pastoral heart. Um, I, I recognize it needs a lot of grace from my lips, to your hearts to hear what needs to be said. Um, this is a, a perfect illustration of this is not a passage I would ever choose to speak on. Like, I, I wouldn't. Like, this is, 
I've never been invited to a church to speak. And they say, just pick whatever you want. Sign me up for Matthew or Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. That's the one I want to address, you know. Um, there's a couple others that rank pretty high uh, on the list with this one. Um, but there's a reason that we go a book at a time through the Bible because it's not about what Gunnar feels like talking about. We're allowing the Word of God to, to speak. And so we, we come to this passage in a, in a day, an age, when, when marriage really truly is under attack in, in every which way. Like, I, I mean, in, in every possible way that you could suggest that marriage is under attack, it, it is presently under attack. Um, and so it really is truly a discussion for us all for, for married people, for unmarried people, for those that are, are divorced, um, for, for all of us, this, this context does apply. Um, and so let's dive in. Um, the very first verse, we sort of are getting set in the context. We find ourselves in a, this is a line in the sand in, in the Gospel of Mark. We're now transitioning to the very last few days of Jesus' life. Um, by the end of this chapter, we find ourselves in Palm Sunday, and basically the rest of the Gospel of Mark deals with the Passion Week and the crucifixion. So we spent a lot of time kind of getting to this place, and now t- the, the chronological timeline is going to basically zoom in on one, uh, one week. And so we read, getting up, he went from there to a region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And so on the map here, uh, I'll use the pointer. So we, we find ourselves today starting the story at the very northern part of the Sea of Galilee. The route Jesus would have taken would have been down around the western edge of the Sea of Galilee, and then he would have crossed over somewhere here to the eastern side of the Jordan River and made his way all the way down to somewhere in this region. I mean, we have, we have Bethany, which is a town. We have Jerusalem over here, obviously, which was critical. So, so some, some, somewhere in this area is, is where Jesus finds himself. Um, and he's going to stay here. We're not going back up to the Galilee. And so we're told that as he goes down, crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom... He once more began to teach them. So, so like the story of Jesus' life during his earthly ministry, crowds came to him. He healed people. He taught them. Uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, remember they said, this, this man teaches like no one else. He teaches with authority. And so people ca- came to him. And I, I just, I love it that basically he says, they came, and like Jesus always does, he began to, to teach them. And so we come here today. You know, my prayer is that he would do some teaching to us on this subject. And so we come to verse 2. We haven't seen the Pharisees in a while. This is the first time they appear in quite some time. Uh, the Pharisees came up to Jesus. Um, testing him. And so we have to kind of pause to remember the context. Like, in Scripture, context, context, context is key. It's, it's all about context. We haven't seen the Pharisees. Um, we, we know that if we were to back up in Mark, back to chapter 3, verse 6, we would read this. The Pharisees went out and began conspiring with the Herodians. 
So just remember that, Herodians. Um, these are not, or what's a, they're strange bedfellows. These, these people would not get along. They, they hated each other, but Jesus was a threat, and so working together for the purpose of bringing him down, they could do it. And, and so we see there that they, they, they conspire together, Pharisees, Herodians, for the purpose of how they might destroy him. So now we move a couple chapters ahead to chapter 10, and we read here, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. Huh, I wonder what they're testing him about. Remember, they have a motive in, in, in mind. And they began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. Um, seems to be a simple question. But we have to remember the context. The, 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 the Pharisees and the Herodians are up to something trying to bring Jesus down. And so this is a trap that I believe that this was their first trap that they set hoping to get Jesus killed. And you think, well, that seems weird. Why would, this get, why would the, the question about marriage and divorce be something that would get Jesus killed? Uh, remember John the Baptist? Uh, how was he killed? Or maybe, no, no, maybe I should ask, why was he killed? <laughs> he was killed because his head got chopped off. And, and, uh, but the why was he, was he was executed because of marriage. In Mark 6, 17, we read, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison, according to Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. So ultimately, John the Baptist was taken into custody by Herod. Herodians working together with the Pharisees. There's Herod, Herodias, the connection there. They're now down in the southern region where John the Baptist operated in. So now they're down in their territory. They're in the region where John was arrested and John was executed over the context of marriage. So this isn't just some question. This this isn't a a woman with tears in her eyes in deep distress or a man in deep sorrow over their past wrestling with a divorce in their history or divorce and remarriage and, and coming before Jesus, Jesus broken, asking Jesus about marriage. This is, that's not the situation. This is a, an explosive, highly controversial subject especially in this region, if not for all of Judaism during this, this window. Um, it reminded me of years ago when Anna and I, when I was getting ready to leave the Navy and we were wrestling with where, where did God have us, where did God want us to go? We interviewed with SIM, a missions agency to, to Africa. And so in the, um, you know, there's a battery of tests uh, and I remember in one of them, the question was like a paragraph form question. That was a hard one. And it said, now in the, in, in the continent of Africa, multiple marriages is, is really common. Like, like for a man to have multiple wives is normal here. How would you, from a theological perspective, counsel a man that got saved, had multiple wives, and has, is now growing in the church 
I remember sitting there with like pencil in my mouth, like, huh, what would I do? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I'm still in seminary. Like, this is like, how does that, how does it work? And I don't remember what answer I gave, but I remember when we flew out to North Carolina to go through the review of all of our testing, they just kind of gave the scores. And at one point, it seemed like we were done with our reviews. And I pulled the guys and I'm like, hey, are you guys going to go over our questions? Because like, there's one question that's really gnawing at me. And he's like, well, what question was it? I'm like, the issue of multiple wives in Africa. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a hard one. We haven't, that, none of us have figured that one out. We, we um, <laughs> what did you say? It might be helpful to us. <laughs> like, and he said, well, we've, he's like, well, what we've kind of concluded is that, well, divorce is wrong. And for any one of, the, one of these men to, to divorce the wives would be wrong. And he has an obligation to care for all of his wives. But he's precluded from like being able to like become in church leadership sort of thing. And, but I, I just, it was kind of one of those questions that I'm like, think, you know, this has sort of been on my, the, the context. Pharisees, Herodians conspiring against Jesus. They get down there. They've got their question. They're in the territory where John was under arrest. They've got Herod Antipas, who is married to Herodias, who's his like sister. I mean, it is the messed up family. The, you know, to quote Beth, um, Beth Howard, that, you know, she says, well, I'm from the South and we don't have family trees. We have family wreaths. And, and so it's very much that, that scenario is like, how do you, like, it's crazy. And John the Baptist was challenging the leader of the area for his marriage and it got his head cut off. So what better question to start asking Jesus if you want his head to be cut off also. And so I'm not trying to soften the blow or try to let, I'm, but we have to keep the context in perspective. So verse three, Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And the first thing that I like about this is we see that Jesus's answer doesn't go to culture. He, he points them to the, to the word of God, um, the, the place of authority, and he asked them, what do they understand about what Moses has to say? Um, it's a good lesson for us. Uh, for those of us who are believers, we should constantly be going to this, this scripture for our standard, for our, our measurement, for, for how we come to sort of... Um, understand what's okay and acceptable or unacceptable for us in our own life. And again, this is not a passage that I choose to study on my own, like just to kind of put that out there again. Um, but he's also doing something really genius uh, because he's Jesus. He's got like he, so he's taking them to the word of God, but he, he doesn't start at like, what does it say in Genesis? Like you think of like, what is it, what is, where he's going to take them is to Genesis, but he asked them about Moses, so he's, he's taking them to the place of Scripture, but he's pinpointing the place where their thought began to deviate, where, where they took Scripture, they manipulated it, uh, they interpreted it in a way that sort of went against what actually happened, and he's sort of forcing them to, to, to think through, ideally, where they've gotten themselves out of alignment, 
So he says, well, what did Moses command you? What did he command you? And where he's going to go, he's going to go to the, the actual the verse, or he's going to force them to go to the actual verse where this great divide within Judaism occurred during their era. And so what they said is Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Like Moses allowed for this. It reminds me of being in the Muslim world, like that a man, if he wants a divorce, he just says, I divorced you three times and the, the, she's done with. And, um, so getting into what they say a little bit deeper, this explosive verse is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she find that, that it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. So I just want to pause there. So this indecency in her, this is this word is the word that created all of the divisions. Because there were two schools of thought within Judaism. There were two rabbis. Uh, which we'll get into in a little bit, and they had very different, differing opinions over what this word meant. Um, but he said that if, they found, if he found some indecency in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. So basically what it says in Deuteronomy is if a husband finds some indecency in his wife, he could simply write a little letter, give it to her, kick her out. And so the two main schools of thought, there was one rabbi, his name was Shammai, probably saying it wrong. He was conservative. And he believed that divorce was acceptable only in the case of unfaithfulness. So that's one school of thought. Only if she had been, when it says indecency, that means that there was infidelity. And in that case, the husband could leave. And there was a blessing from God. Like it was acceptable to, to end the marriage in that situation. Now, there, then there was Hillel, and he was liberal. He, um, he basically said there any reason a husband could divorce his wife. They have writings from him that, uh, that if she burned the meal, that was an out. Or if he happened to find a more attractive woman. That would be indecency in the one that he had. Like that her indecency was that she aged. And then he found a younger one. That would be indecency. And so that, that, was, that was cause enough. Now let me ask you, which one was more popular during Jesus' era? <laughs> the second guy. Because that's one that everybody like. It's a whole lot easier. And so the, the bulk of the peoples had sort of like adopted this second guy's view that if she burns my toast, she's gone. Or if I get bored, if I move, if we go separate ways, like just we grow apart, like what you fill in the blank with all the different reasons that you could come up with. That was the dominant and pervasive thought of the religious people. We're not, just, we're not talking the non this is the Jewish people. So this is an explosive subject. And 
there's some wisdom with you. Like so far, this is like when you find yourself in an explosive situation, ask questions. You know, let them say the stuff. Like don't don't immediately start throwing your stuff into the ring. You know, start to figure out where they're coming from. Um, and so I think that they're trying to get Jesus all wrapped up in the same scandal that John was, ultimately to get executed. And so how, how would Jesus respond? In verse 5, Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. And I think there's some wisdom. Like, uh, he said, divorce is never ideal by God's standard. You can find an exception for divorce within there because of the hardness of man's heart. Now, I'm not saying like even man, like humanity's heart. Um, I.e., sinfulness. That because of the sinfulness and the sin condition that we're in, it lends to broken and damaged relationships. And because of this, he's saying that God has allowed this. But he's not going to stop there. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation. So now Jesus, he first starts with them from, from coming, he addresses them from where they're coming from at the, the jugular vein of the issue that makes this thing so explosive in their context. He lets them answer, he lets them explain, but then he goes back to the very beginning. Um, the, the boilerplate for marriage, so to speak. Um, and as we go through this, we, we see, we are reminded of, we learn that God is the designer of marriage. He is the patent holder of marriage. Marriage exists because God is the one who created this, and so God is the one that basically lays the ground rules. And I think because of this, it's no surprise to me that marriage is under attack Today, just as it was then, there's nothing new under the sun. Like what's happening today with marriage, it happened in Rome. This has been going on for thousands of years. Don't, don't fool yourselves and think there's anything special about us. Like humans are humans. And we've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Satan has been working us the same. Like, and so Jesus points them back to the beginning. The beginning of creation. God made them male and female. These are some very uh, fundamental truths, and I do think that that we um, that we're going to have to. I'm not like you know. Thankfully, due to time, it precludes me from like un, like really going into. But this is something we're going to we're going to have to grapple with. We, we live in a day and age where, you know, g- gay marriage has ba- been, go- it's, go- it's, l- it's legal in our state, it's legal in many states, it's probably going to be legal, well, probably, uh, I think it already is legal across the nation. Um, it's going to become more and more common. And, and so you're going to have to like, grapple with, like, how, like, how do you address this? Like, how, how do you deal with it in pr- practical terms? Like, and it's not easy. And I'm not, like, it's not easy. Like, I have a family member who, it, like, is married. And 
by the, by the state's eyes, and it creates tension, and it's, di- it's, it's difficult. And I don't, have all the, like, I don't have all the answers about how. I just pray that the Spirit would lead you and how you address it in truth and love and grace. And It's hard. But, but Jesus points back to Genesis, and he says, this isn't a cultural issue. This is a, this is a God is the designer. God is the one that holds the patent on marriage. God is the one that says how it is. And there he says, God made male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. So then he points to like kind of step number two in marriage is that marriage, when the two come together, they leave all of their other allegiances. Which this is a huge cause for divorce in marriages that the two never really become one that they that they're they have their team and then there's the spouse's team and they never become their team and she says going back to the boilerplate of marriage male female for this reason a man leaves his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh so there's some obvious things here, then some very natural things. Uh, generally speaking, of course, it's not in every case, but generally speaking, the two become one. It results in children, where the two become like literally one flesh. Then he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. He said, this is, this is a, from God's eyes, this is a, this is a, a, a permanent blending together. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a funny story. I, uh, <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, <laughs> so I didn't know what they created super glue for initially. You guys realize that super glue? They know the story. I hear giggling already. Super glue apparently was designed in the medical world. It was designed to, to glue flesh together. I didn't know this at eighth grade. And I actually did it. And this is where this story. This night, it was a, it was a Friday night, and I, um, I had my buddy Jeremy Fitzgerald. We were going to go surf in the morning. My dad was going to drop us off at the beach to surf, and and so, it, somehow we thought it'd be a good idea for him to spend the night. And uh, I, I'm trying to think back to 14 year old Gunner, like what was going on in his brain, or how did we get ourselves in this situation. All I know is in that moment that we had a thing of super glue. And somehow, I don't know if I brought it up or if he brought it up, but somehow it came up that I had, I, I, it was consensual that I'd be able to, like, that I could try to put some between his feet. Where I deviated from the plan is he said, why don't you put one drop? Like, so his feet were like this. And he said, put one, one drop and let's see what happens. One drop. <laughs> I tried to get the whole bottle in there, you know, like. But this stuff was like instant. Like it totally, like his feet were welded together. And it was like, this is like really, really bad. And, and, he, and we're trying to pull him apart. Like I think that he tried for a while. Then I think I was trying to do yoga with him where I would like hold one foot, try to pull him up. But it was like they just wouldn't budge. 
Then he, then he says, I have an idea. I'm like, what's your idea? I'm up for anything. He's like, go get a steak knife. <clears throat> and I said, okay. So I snuck out in the kitchen. My dad's asleep in his chair watching TV. So in my mind, there's like the flickering of the TV and my dad snoring on the recliner, very gently getting the steak knife out. And so he, he didn't want me to do the cutting. I'd done enough damage. <clears throat> and so we got his feet. Well, he got his feet. Steak knives is meant for meat, and his feet are just meat. And so he, he got them sliced apart. My brain kind of goes, I don't remember much of the details out of that. Till the next day, the next morning when we're at the beach, we're walking down the Mission, Bay, uh, Mission Beach jetty to go into the surf. He's like, man, you're a jerk. I can't believe you did that. I'm like, what's up? He's like, my feet are all lopsided now. And, I, and the point of this is that there's some glue that's so strong, like even wood, like you, there's, it's so strong that there's no way that you can separate it without doing damage. And this is what Jesus is saying about divorce. I don't know anyone that has personally gone through a divorce and said, that's better than Disneyland, you know? Like, this is fun. It just feels good. Everybody I know that's been touched by divorce, that has gone through a divorce, it, it, it's, the, the pain and the agony and the sorrow, it, it just, it, it's not something that's mended. Because when two people get married, to rip that apart, there's no way not to do damage. And I think that the pain from divorce that it causes and inflicts on all people involved and children and parents and like, like every, everybody connected to the couple. I think it's why God hates divorce so much. And so Jesus is saying, Moses allowed it out of the hardness of your heart, the sinfulness of man's heart. That's why there was this like out given. But according to God's plan, God said, what God has joined together, let no man separate, because to separate, it's never better. And, and this, these, these were hard words. Because the story kind of ends. We don't see how the Pharisees, we don't see how the Pharisees are acted. We don't, we, we go to verse 10, and now we're in the house. Like, so we, we suddenly just transport ourselves away from the story of these Pharisees. It just ends. It doesn't say, oh, they all got mad and the two sides exploded. It, ju- it just ends. And I don't know, there's a part of me that I'm thinking that this could be Bethany because this seems to be where they stayed when they came down to Jerusalem. But I don't know, that's just Gunner just right now that popped into my mind. What Jesus said was so radical and so out of the box and so not... Like, first of all, the, the Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and what he said to them was so radical that even the disciples, like, so radical, he's talking about the Word of God and what the says in Genesis, but by this time in history, the belief system of the liberal rabbi that you could divorce for whatever reason was so widespread that even the disciples had a very difficult time understanding what Jesus was saying because this cut against everything that they knew and understood about marriage. Like, don't let that one pass you. Like, don't, don't let that 
pass you by. Like, which I would say within Christianity today, it's the same way. Like, there's a lot of confusion about marriage and what does God say? And how do we handle it? So notice in verse 10, what he says is, in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. Like, you got to run this bias again. Like, this is pretty radical. <clears throat> and so then he kind of goes, like, Jesus does not, like, m- mince words. Verse 11, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now Mark cuts off. But if we were to look at the counterpart of the story over in Matthew chapter 19, at the end of this, basically the same dialogue, in verse 10, so Matthew 19 verse 10, the disciples sort of like you just... It's like what Jesus said was like a, a punch to their face. And, and Jesus' teaching on marriage to them was so radical and so unheard of that they look at Jesus and they say this, if the relationship of the man, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry like that, that's, that's their reality. It was so radical that they, like, why would anybody enter into marriage? Like, why would we do this? Like, this is pretty severe. This is pretty, this is not good. Um, throughout the New Testament and, and specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is another good chapter for you to study if you're wrestling through these things, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, basically Paul says, I wish that all people were like me. And so we believe that Paul was widowed and that he was unwedded. And he says, I wish that all people could be single like me. And if you follow all the way down to verse 28, he says, um, he's like, I write you these things. To, 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 like, not many are basically cut out for singleness, but I write because it would be better because those that get married, um, I want to spare you them. Like, I'm trying to re say it without reading it, but basically he says, I'm trying to spare y'all from getting marriage because there's a lot of trouble in marriage. <laughs> there's a lot of pain. Basically because two sinners are uniting. And so it's like multiply the sin factor there. Um, a few years ago, I was asked, well, it was a weird request. Like, so this guy I barely knew in high school, his younger brother sends me a note on Facebook and he says, you came to mind because we're having a problem. Um, and I was like, well, what's the problem? Like, I just never know where that's going to go. He's like, we're, we're having a problem that, of finding a pastor that's okay with guns being all in the ceremony. And I'm like, oh, that's no problem for me. I don't care. Like, I'm in Valley Center and, you know, my background, I, so what? But what, how, can you tell me what the, how come there's guns involved in the wedding? Like, uh, cool, but like, what's up with that? And he's like, oh, well, we all dress up like from the Victorian era. And I'm like, the what? You guys dress up? Like, huh? Guess there's a whole people that like recreate history and they act it out. And these are some of those people. And he's like, I have these friends that want to have the Victorian era thing. And I'm like, what do you mean like Victorian era? Are we talking like Downton Abbey? They're like, no, no, no. We're talking like cowboys. 
the West. Saloons and that sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, all right. All right. I'm down. Let's, and and I, remember, I remember meeting with a couple. We met at the Starbucks at, at El Norte. And, and uh, they, they're like, we want it to be as like authentic and true to the era as you can possibly make it. And I'm like, okay, so what? They're like, the eight, mid-1800s. And I'm like, I can do that, no problem. Let me, I'll, I'll, send, I'll email you back. Let me, let me find the script. I'll get back to you. I find this script and I email them. I'm like, are you sure you want the script from this? Because the marriage, because the Book of Common Prayer, they list out the script for the pastors and I have exactly what they said back then. And they're like, bring it. We want, we want authentic I'm going to read it to you. Just the introduction. It's hard for me because it's like the King James Version, English. It says, Dearly beloved, this is just in the very beginning before I even pray or do anything. They're just, everybody's walked down the aisle. Their their rifles are all holstered and pistols in the hips. And dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God. And in the face of this congregation to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted of God in the time of man's innocency, signifying unto us the mystical union that is betwixt Christ and his church, which holy estate Christ adorned and beautified with his presence and first miracle that he wrought in Cana of Galilee, and is commended of St. Paul to be honorable among all men, and therefore is not to be enterprised, nor taken in hand, unadvisedly, lightly, or wantonly, to satisfy men's carnal lusts and appetites like brute beasts that have no understanding, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God, duly considering the causes for which matrimony was ordained. I require and charge you both, as ye will answer at the dreadful day of judgment, when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed, that if either of you know of any impediment, why ye may not lawfully be joined together in matrimony, ye do now confess it. Be ye well assured that so many as are coupled together, otherwise than God's word doth allow and are not joined together by God, neither is their matrimony lawful. <laughs> you should have seen the crowd. The couple knew that it was coming. The crowd was like, is this a joke? And it's like, no, this is serious. I loved it. And these people were like, it was like such a tremendous opportunity to witness to this like, couple that was like, the, the marriage ceremonies of old, there was nothing about feelings, emotion, it was about making a commitment, understanding before God that you are committing to something. 
I'll never forget old George Farrington. Some of you guys knew George, maybe you don't, but George was the pastor here back in like the 60s. He and his wife had been married like 60 some odd years and, and I remember sitting him down at one time and saying, hey George, um, you've been married a long time. Can you, like, what's the secret to marriage? So I was like thinking he's going to say something like, eat dinner together. You know, something easy. Um, I don't know, like wash your car, fill it up with gas, like so, you know, something doable. <laughs> and he like sits forward in his chair, like, you know, like just, I remember he had shaky hands and his, he was old enough that like where the eyelids stopped like kind of closing up. And so, so it looked like he was crying. And he leans forward in his chair and he looks at me and he's like, you just endure it. (laughs) It's going to be hard. You do it for Christ out of submission to him. It'll get better. It'll get worse. And you push through out of faithfulness to Christ. And I remember thinking, I I don't like that answer. That's like... (laughs) We're trying to have a, we want to, like, we were, I was thinking about, like, lighting him up for a couple's dinner, and it's like, George, we need something more palatable. It's like, there's no secret. You're two sinners. You're selfish. You want things your own way. He's like, that's not what marriage is. So in closing... Remember the context. Like, I don't want to, like... So this, this starts out with these guys trying to trip up Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. He silences them, but, he, but, but then, as the disciples start asking questions about marriage, like, serious questions... Like, I'm not taking away from the seriousness of what Jesus says, because what Jesus says is true about marriage. But, but, but the context of the history of people who have been affected by divorce, I can't, like, in this, also the context and, and the correlating all of Scripture and how Jesus dealt with marriage and divorce, you, you have to keep it first, like, you have to keep it together. So in John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, you should know this story. There was the middle of the day, The disciples go out for sandwiches to get some food. Jesus is at the well, and a lady comes to the well to get water, which was not normal because the women would get water in the morning while it was cool. But this lady was there in the afternoon because she was probably, like, she was banished from her community because of her lifestyle. And in their exchange, Jesus says to her, Go and call your husband and come over here as they're talking about spiritual things. And I can see the woman with like a trembling lip. She said, the woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are correct. You are correct. You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. 
you have said this truly. And in saying this, 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 this woman's path, like she knows that Jesus knows everything about her. And you know, Jesus doesn't come down on her about her past. He commissions her to go and do the great, like the great commission. Like it's a beautiful picture of go and tell about the Messiah. As Jesus deals with her, it's about her present and her future, not her past. Jesus' interaction with her is about grace and redemption. And that's the Christian life. It's not about where you've been. It's where you are and where you're heading. And, and so I'm, I'm truly, deeply convinced that if you have divorce in your past, that's, put that divorce at the foot of the cross. Jesus paid for it. He's forgiven you if you're in Christ. Let him forgive you. Like so often Christ forgives us, but we continue to beat ourselves up and, and to not forgive ourselves. I'm the master at that one. There's, there's other issues that are, that are con, like covered that, that go beyond the, you know, there's infidelity, there's non-believer leaving. Paul really expands in 1 Corinthians 7 um, to the married in this room, I would encourage you to, like George says, like c- commit to like making it better. There's some quote, I have no idea where it came from, and it says, this is probably just as much for the single people in the house also. Because if you're watching TV and you're watching, you know, what's uh, the Hall- Hallmark movies? <laughs> uh, you know, this is where my favorite quote, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. You know, uh, this is a quote, so not just for the married people, this is for, you know. It says, there's an assumption out there in the culture that there is someone just right for us to marry, and if we look closely enough, we'll find this right person. This overlooks a crucial fact about marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that when you get married, you always marry the wrong person. <laughs> we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change. And so do you. And I do think it's a, um, it, it's, it's a, a good lesson that if you're married, to invest in your marriage, to, to put time into your marriage, uh, work on making your marriage better. Uh, my wedding day, I'll never forget. Like the one thing I remember is my father-in-law who officiated just said, just commit to making each day better than yesterday. Um, and it stuck with me. It's a good reminder for me. Like next Saturday is Anna and I's 18-year anniversary. And so it's, it's a, coming to these passages, it's a good reminder for you to sort of renew your vows in your mind. Like to remind yourself of the commitment that you made and to commit to, to obligating the vows that you made and, and to, to live it out. So to everyone, it, it, Hebrews 13.4 tells us that mar- the marriage bed is to be honored by all, which I, which I think, for those of you that are not married, how do you advise your friends that are married and going through a hard time? Do you say, just throw it out, give up on your marriage, or do you have a biblical worldview that says, no, it's hard work? Uh, you know, even if you've never been married, I've never been married, but it's hard work, and you need to like, really commit to making your mar- marriage better. Um, I think if you're unmarried, 
prepare yourself, like grow, become the person that, that a godly spouse would want in you. Um, and pray for those that are married. And in the midst of all of this, which what I'm going to end with is somehow in the midst of marriage, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.32 that somehow in the midst of marriage, this great mystery between Christ and the church is fulfilled, which is mind-boggling to me other than it seems to point to the picture that like if you're, mar- like, if you're married, it- it's bigger than just the two of you. Um, and so with that, let's pray. Um, Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, today's section is, it hits upon just an area that's really difficult and comes with a whole lot of baggage. Um, Father, I pray for those in this room that are married. We pray for every marriage that you would um, protect marriages, help those that are married to, uh, to, to honor you within the context of their marriage, help them to be Christ-like in how they engage and relate to their spouse. Uh, Lord, help each marriage here to, to, to get better and to get more Christ-honoring. For those of us that are suffering the wounds of, of dealing with a divorce or divorces in the past, Lord, I, I pray that you would truly um, allow each person um, to receive your grace fully, to receive healing fully and completely. We thank you that on the cross you paid for every sin, past, present, and future. We thank you. Uh, for your mercy, uh, your forgiveness, which just continues over and over and over again. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that so often we're a people that have a hard time um, to, to forgive ourselves, that to, to receive your forgiveness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to open up and to, to truly bask in your grace and to allow it to cleanse us uh, deep within. And Lord, for those who are not married, um, we do pray that you would help them. Um, If marriage is in their future, that you would just help them to uh, become the potential spouse uh, that you would have them to be. We pray that you would give them patience and that you would help them to use uh, their singleness uh, for your glory. Uh, Lord, we are grateful, Lord, again for all that you've done in our lives and for your great grace that you've poured out into our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.